Welcome to Prophetic Voices Preaching and Teaching Beloved Community, a podcast from the Episcopal Church's Office of Reconciliation, Justice, and Creation Care, where we explore the season and electionary through the lens of social justice. I'm your host, Reverend Shaniqua, Staff Officer for Racial Reconciliation. Welcome back. I'm so glad you could join us today. In this episode of Prophetic Voices, we'll be discussing some of the readings for Christmas, focusing particularly on our gospel lesson options, Luke 2, 1 through 20, and John 1, 1 through 14. With me today, I have three exceptional guests. Hazel Monet is a lover of freedom and serves as the missioner for equity and justice with the Episcopal Diocese of Washington. Welcome, Hazel. The Reverend Charles Graves IV is a college campus minister in Houston, Texas, and a member of the Executive Council of the Episcopal Church. Welcome, Charles. And last but not least, the Reverend Rachel Table Hamilton is of Indigenous Shacken First Nations and European heritage. She is Rector of Trinity Episcopal Church in Everett, Washington, serves on the board of the Anglican Indigenous Network, and co-founded Circles of Color Advocacy Network in the Diocese of Olympia. Welcome, Rachel. What is important to keep in mind this Christmas? It seems like this Christmas, we've had people beginning to come back together with family intergenerationally. And I know that for a lot of my folks and friends, people have um, died over these past two years that held some of those traditions. And uh, I think this will be an important time to carve out some time to do that, remembering. Sometimes people get worried that it's too nostalgic or emotional to do that. But I think this year, especially before moving forward too quickly, to really take that time uh, to remember and to do the traditions that either feel right and good to do to remember those people by, or if needed, do something completely novel, but to really hold those memories dear. The word that came to my, my heart was be. I feel like we're in such a weird, like, liminal space. We sort of like feel like we've made it past the quote unquote hard or worst parts of this pandemic. And there's some sense of like return in a special way. Um, And I think this Christmas, like I'm really thinking about how I want to be different, how I want to be changed, how I want to just be nothing. Right. Um, And allow that to really sit in my, my spirit in a way that I think this kind of in the middle slash post pandemic feeling has encouraged us to kind of get back out there. And I'm looking forward to being. You know, isn't, isn't there a word in incarnation about that? We're, we're kind of uh, in this season of remembering how important it is to, to be in body. Uh, and our, our embodiedness is kind of taking on a new, a new life, a new, a new residence, perhaps, uh, as we're all kind of learning to be in body with each other again. Um, and, and yet also, you know, holding that intention with it at the same time, as, as you mentioned, Rachel, um, kind of acknowledging and, and um, uh, you know, kind of expressing to God all the feelings that go with the, with the, the many people that we've lost over this time and, and who cannot be with us in body in that way. And so this, this incarnation kind of speaks, speaks differently. Uh, it, it, it hits different, as my students would tell me, <laughs> this year than it would otherwise. It does. At one of our Christmas services we do is a blue Christmas service each mm. year. Um, and I think it's going to be really attended quite a bit this year, more than perhaps mm. previous years for that reason, because the pressure to 
experience Christmas as a joyful time <laughs> or it can really hit us sideways if we're actually in mourning. So providing those gentler opportunities to acknowledge the season and maybe the hope of the season, uh, but also recognize where people really are emotionally. What came up for me was like the ability to hold the complexity in the season um, and be held in our complexity simultaneously because I think we're just sort of yeah, this in-between space, we're coming, going to come into a new year and kind of this um, sense of like, you've got to set new goals and you've got to be this different person now. And um, while also creating space to just sort of reflect on all that has been already. And so holding the complexity is where I'll be. I was thinking about like, one of the things that I sort of preach on sometimes at funerals, especially, is the communion of saints. And I always think, especially at Christmas time, where I have really lots of memories of coming to church with my grandma or my aunties or all of those kind of things. And I just always think of myself like as I'm going up to that communion rail, I might be kneeling there. And so is my grandma and my grandpa and all those people that I love, all those memories that I have. They're there in communion, having communion with me, too, because it's all like that time is just kind of folded over on top mm -hmm. of itself. Maybe that's the image that I think is just in my mind, I think, this Christmas, maybe more than others. So we have like three different versions of a Christmas lectionary options. What is that all about? Does anybody, anybody with more experience than I have know about that? Well, there's usually recommendations for, you know, what is your principal service for Christmas? Uh, some Congregations might say that's going to be Christmas Day. Others might say that's going to be a, a first or second service on a Christmas Eve. Or so, so yeah, there's this recommended readings. Make sure you read this one at one of those times <laughs> because that's your principal service. And then the other sets are, well, you know, just kind of options about how you want to focus the, the time or the celebration. I always feel like there's Luke and then there's everybody else and then there's John that we eventually get to, you know, on the Sunday after Christmas. Like, <laughs> It is not Christmas if I don't hear Luke. You know? Like that's it. I, mm. uh, that's like the, it. It always feels like the quintessential Christmas narrative to me. Okay. And I like using the the I like using that for the principal service, and then I like using uh, that John actually for my second Christmas Eve service because I intentionally frame that to be more reflective and quiet. We do, it doesn't end on a big hurrah. It ends actually with us holding candles, singing Silent Night. So that there's this opportunity of when you have are welcoming a new baby into the world, you, you don't want that little drummer boy just yet. <laughs> you really want mm -hmm. that reflective moment uh, of, of just what does this mean? Our, our lives are changed. I think one of the invitations of having many options is sort of to ask yourself, like, how do I want people to feel at the end of this service? Or how do we want to kind of learn together? I do see Luke. I'm I'm really resonating with you, Charles. Like I, it's not Christmas if it's not a Luke, right? And for me, and yet still something about sort of the the question of um, the John um, piece is really important as we continue to think about back to that first question of like how are we inviting ourselves in a space of reflection, of a, a, a space of um, thinking anew. Let's talk about Luke a little bit. So.
for me, I think that there's a there, like you said, you guys have named how it really is sort of the consummate story associated with nativity in that whole, it's sort of that, that hallmark moment. Um, and <laughs> it's become the hallmark moment. Let's put it that way in, in terms of identifying it, the Christmas story. I think there's a, a way in which it's almost um, gone beyond the, the boundaries of being a heritage story that we retell and tell in the retelling of it, it becomes something very comfortable, very familiar, and it wouldn't be Christmas without it. So it's, it's just become uh, the way that we do Christmas. I, I think what, what strikes me about it is there's this sort of intentional juxtaposition of how the, the whole universe is involved in this moment even with the star of Bethlehem uh, in the mm. cosmos, there's a way in which uh, this sa sa saving moment in our salvation history, this moment isn't only for the human community, but it involves all of creation and all of creation is being redeemed in this moment and, uh, and is celebrating this moment. So, so for me and my native heritage, it's just, it is all about a celebration in creation as well. You've got the angels, you got the heavenly hosts, you got to, you got a cosmos, you've got people, you got shepherds, the classes are all dissolved, you got kings, you got, and and everybody's involved in this. No one's excluded. Hmm. What seems to me that we always leave out is um, it's just how chaotic everything was in that moment. You know, we 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 create this whole um, you know this kind of cartoon version. You know, I always think of uh, like. I always think of Charlie Brown Christmas. And again, that's one of those things that it is not Christmas without. But like, you know, we think of, you know, Silent Night and, you know, this quiet, peaceful little baby in a manger. And we forget that, like, they couldn't get a room in the inn because there were too many people in town, you know, because everybody was there. You know, the census was happening. You think everyone was, like, there was so, so much movement going around. And and what that says to me is that, uh, that, that God's self is born into us, into the world, in in precisely moments like that. You mm. know, when our lives are straight up chaos, mm. in moments when like we can't figure out where we're gonna go or be. You know, that that's when that's when God's self, God's being, God's physical presence comes into and among us. Right. I, I think that's, uh, and I think in this in this time when uh, we are all, as we were talking about earlier, coming through this incredibly kind of chaotic dis disturbing disruptive um period in our time or this we're, while we're continuing to go through that moment actually uh you know that that in times like that maybe w is when we precisely need uh god's being to come among us you know much maybe more so than than when we're already in this kind of quiet serene peacefulness mm. i think about how often like both in like the variations of sacred texts or even in this telling of sacred texts of like revisionist history. It's like, I want to tell this particular story because it makes me feel a particular way. Hmm. Um, and again, not to like sit on it for too long, but that word complexity is just so important in this season. Um, what would it look like to tell the whole story? Like not the beautiful, like, oh my God. And then Mary like welcomed this baby into the world and not tell like how the trek was to get to a point to a manger or how like Mary was mistreated because mm. of bringing in this life and why uh, folks were so eager to come and see this baby, right? Like how do we tell the entire story and nuance it in a way that allows us to kind of live at the intersections of like life and chaos and 
and all the things that come with that and that that is the place where we can find God. I love the earthiness of it, as you guys have sort of, you know, touching on there, the earthiness of the idea of just having goats and sheep around me while I give birth. That would have been a much more interesting experience <laughs> to have, <laughs> you know, yeah, to really, you know, have, have just the, the understanding that it's not this disease incarnate. He comes to earth. It's this earthy, um, you know, literally rising up from dust, being made from uh, flesh and blood. And Mary is certainly exhibiting her flesh and blood in that birth process. And, and that, that there's, there's no way to look away from the earthiness of that. Mm. Just to connect it to today, I'm like that one of the first lines is like, this was happening in Syria. Like, and I think part of the story that Christians are, telling about this Jesus um, character is like not a story of like a brown Jesus of, you know, of we think about modern day Syria and what folks look like in that region of the world. Um, and so how we even bring to your question, Shanika, like what, what is missing or what folks are not understanding about this story is um, the darkness, the melanin of it all is, mm. I mean, I think is something that can be missed. Mm-hmm. I've talked about that sometimes, the mm. white Jesus, how it, white Jesus, if our Jesus we see is white all the time, it makes us blind to the brown and black Jesuses all around us, right? Absolutely. And that makes me kind of think about one of the questions I thought of is like, who in our communities is there no room for? And who in our church is there no room for? And like right now, you know, we have Afghan refugees coming in um, and, and some of our governors have like, we don't want them in our state. We don't want them here. I know my governor has said stuff like that. Um, so who, who do we not have room for, both as a church or as a society? I mean, I think we can run the gamut. Like that list could be extremely mm -hmm. long. Um, since you mentioned the Afghan refugee crisis here in DC, DMV area, huge influx of Afghan refugees. With a lot of our congregations responding, like we wanna support families, wanna host families. Um, and it's been great. And one of the things that I've been seeing on the whole to this question of like, who's not welcome, sort of like, yeah, there's, a, there's a list of like, who's not welcome. And then there's a list of like, who's welcome if, right? And then we start mm. to add all of these qualifiers mm -hmm. um, that really starts to look suspicious, I will say. And mm -hmm. so, so we just wanna put that out there too uh, in this conversation. I think this idea of how to, how to interface with the community of our diverse homeless and mental health people and mm -hmm. those who are drug addicted. I know in the community where I serve, uh, it's fairly urban. And those are the populations that are most in need and they're the, have the most complex issues, mental health, addictive disorders, uh, homelessness, usually all kind of intersecting. And how, how to even um, whether it's, you know, make room for by having them in or make room for in our ministries and not only have it be a seasonal ministry, because that kind of happens to that phenomenon of, well, we'll do extra things for the hungry and the homeless now, and then we'll forget them the rest of the year, but it makes us feel good, you know? <laughs> so it's how do we not get into that um, sort of virtue signaling? At, at my church here in uh, Houston, a couple of years ago, this is before I was here, uh, they, they, you know, set up their little crash in the narthex, as you do, and uh, one of the Sunday one of the Sundays, it might have been the Sunday after Christmas, uh, the, the little baby Jesus went missing and nobody could find it. And, you know, they looked all around and, you know, didn't know what to do. And 
uh, the the rector at the time, my my dear friend and mentor Francine Young, had a stroke of genius. Instead of going out and buying another little baby Jesus, what she did is she wrote on a little post-it note, "Jesus is out walking in the hood," and put that in the crash. <laughs> and now I don't think they put another baby Jesus out every year. Jesus is out walking in the hood, <laughs> and, and our our church is is right in the middle of the hood in Houston. Uh, and what that reminds me of is exactly what you mentioned, Rachel, is that, you know, we, we try in, in our, you know, annual and the way that we mark and remember Christmas, you know, we, we put Jesus in the, in the little crash in the narthex or wherever, you know, on the church grounds or whatever. But sometimes it causes us to forget that Jesus is already out walking in the hood or wherever <laughs> or wherever we are. Jesus is already out, you know, among the, the homeless, the marginalized, the the, whoever it is that we have chosen to, to lock out or keep out of our churches, Jesus is there, you know, in some ways much more so than Jesus is, you know, is, is uh, kind of in whatever place we've decided to place him. Mm. That's great. Uh, during Advent, I'll have this very large star that actually illuminates, right? So it kind of hangs up uh, on the wall. It's all lit up. And I started out in the narthex area outside the entry for the sanctuary. And then on Advent 2, I kind of move it farther in. Now it's inside the sanctuary at the back. Advent 3, it kind of creeps up toward the front. And finally, you know, on Christmas Eve, it ends up uh, above the crush on the high altar. And I, when, the first time I did that, my altar guild people said, that is really creepy, that star moving around. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, it's a wandering star, right? And, and it's taking us somewhere. We're being led on this journey of Advent uh, to get there. And and so this idea of like, you know, Jesus in here, he's in the hood. Well, the star, you know, look for the star. You actually have to look. This <laughs> could be wandering all over the place. You have to follow it. <laughs> I also think about like who's now really welcome, even though they're in our congregations, mm. which is a conversation around like who's allowed to really show up as fully as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't grow up in the Episcopal Church, I'm, but, um, you know, in my youth tradition, it was like customary to turn to your neighbor and talk to your neighbor and say, I'm, I, you know, or to resonate with the pastor when you hear something that really like speaks to you. And I remember I, you know, brought that energy as I was preaching and said, you know, turn to, you know, why don't we spend a little time and talk to your neighbor about like, where is God really showing up in your life right now? Um, someone, I think Enuma Okoro, who wrote Reluctant Pilgrim, a moody, somewhat self-indulgent introverts quest for spiritual community is the title um but any this person talks about um sort of how we show up in this work and one prayer that is offered and i'll just read it says patient god instill in me a desire for honesty and authenticity in my walk with you open my eyes to catch you as you slip through corners in the boxes i foolishly create for you and i share that in response to this question of like who's not invited to the space or who's forgotten in um, the work that we sort of claim to be doing in our church. And I think part of that is a a theological issue. Uh, We have made God box. We've put Jesus only in that mantle and not in the Mm. streets. Um, Mm -hmm. And part of the work I see is a theological endeavor as, as well as a kind of a social interpersonal endeavor. I really like that thought of like the, I think it's Benedictine where it's like, you know, you welcome everybody as though they were Christ, Christ's self mm. um, and how we do that. And I think sometimes I really resonated when you were talking about that thing about like, we welcome you, but only if you're blah, 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 blah. And I think our churches don't recognize or think sometimes about how 
subtle little things they do leave people out. Like the, the church I was at before, they did lots of dinners and stuff and they were all like good fundraisers and stuff. But you had to have money if you were going to go to any of those dinners. And so all of the like native folks who you know had to drive 15 miles from the reservation, they didn't have money. They weren't coming to those things. People were like, why don't they come? It's like, well, because you're charging 10 bucks. And for them, 10 bucks could mean they could eat for a whole week on 10 bucks. And you're asking them to give that up for one, one dinner, right? <laughs> when they may not even get leftovers to take home. And so how, how do we rethink about those things? Or how do we notice those things and maybe think about how we can shift? One of the things I'm aware of, too, is with our children and youth, there's a way in which there's an expectation that they're going to have have be part of some performance at Christmas time or have certain roles. Or again, it's the time of year where maybe we'd have a children's choir or, or some way where we feature them. And the thing that can, can concern me about that is if, if they hadn't been visible all the rest of the year, you know, a similar kind of thing. How, what, how are they kind of how are we being asked to use them? in order to sort of fulfill this kind of romanticized expectation of our Christmas experience. And so uh, this year, you know, just sat down with the kids and the youth. And even though we have the opportunity to be back together again, I really asked them, you know, what's really meaningful to you about this? And how do you want to participate or contribute this year? And to to a person of every age, uh, from five years old up, they, they said, we would like to do the service the way the adults do it. We would like to do the readings and we'd like to uh, serve at altar and we want to do all these things, but we don't really want to do the nativity story. <laughs> and I said, then let's do it the way the adults do. Let's, let's have you, you know, run everything. That's what we're doing for the, for the family service. That's awesome. I, I've done that with kids too. Like I had them do everything. Like when we're doing baptism, the water, I had them put their hands in the water. I'm like, you put your hands in the water, just like I did as we say this. And it's so nice. And I think they feel such a part of the inclusion of it. And then that, that remained, there was one boy, he would, he would stand up and he'd point for me while I'd read the Eucharistic prayer and anything that he could read, I'd had him read. He usually like introduced the Lord's prayer. He'd be like, let us pray. And he'd say it all loud. And it was, it was fun. <laughs> Couldn't get him to wear a cassock for his life, to save his life. Couldn't get him to wear it all, but he was up there pointing. <laughs> what do you think Luke tells the story of the shepherds? Why is that? I always wonder about that. Is that were those like the ordinary people of the day? Or is it significant that they were shepherds? It's super duper indigenous to be a shepherd. It is super duper to be in that close relationship with the animals that you rely on for your own life. And you care about them uh, for what they are, their own intrinsic value, not only what they can do for you. And uh, so I think that there's, again, there's this modeling of how uh, human relationship with the with creation is mirrored in that for me and also the shepherds were considered quite physically literally the people farthest away from jerusalem you know where the holy of holy is they're out there in the countryside the country pumpkins (laughs) they're hanging out in these dirty places and and the shepherds and the angels come to them first hey people on the margins i have news for you it's funny that we think about the shepherds in the in the birth story at around christmas time but and then in April or so, or whenever Good Shepherd Sunday happens, we think about Jesus and speaking about himself as the Good Shepherd, and then, but we don't really ever mix those, <laughs> which is, I never thought about that until until reading or getting ready for this conversation, but it, it emerges kind of upon me how uh, shepherds and shepherding remains a consistent theme from the very beginning of Jesus' life all the way through. Uh, and and so you know this is, it, maybe it's it's one of many um, kind of 
places where we see that that continuity. I'm just going to say amen. <laughs> amen. When I always think about that too, like if I was the shepherd, you know, I've, I've heard you know preachers preach like that too. What if you were the shepherd and you got visited by an angel? Angels weren't little cute naked bottomed babies with wings they were like scary i've preached and said they were scary af before but like <laughs> i don't know how i would respond if somebody told me all of that when have you encountered the sacred like the shepherds or received a sign and then had it confirmed later for you my my niece who's almost five and i always like measure like is this like does it make sense if i can explain it to this child and often it doesn't right like how do i explain that like oh we're doing this christmas thing because you know this baby came in, but nobody made the baby in the way that you think babies are made. Like, how do you even tell the story? Right? And so, like, <laughs> and so, I mean, I think, like, I say that to say that, like, it's a weird story. Like, let's just, like, it's so hard to fathom, right? And I think mm -hmm. that is okay. And I think it keeps the the room for curiosity and exploration open, mm -hmm. which is, for me, like, the center of, like, love and relationship. Like, really moving toward spirit, moving toward energy. And so I love that, like, it's hard to explain. I think there, I have felt in my um, life, like just angels, a spirit or shepherds really kind of speaking to me, kind of coming in. And it's always kind of back to what Charles said in the beginning. It's always in the midst of chaos. It's like, I have no clarity. There's all types of things going on. And I'm feeling like I'm being pulled in so many directions. And then all of a sudden this thing, whether I want it there or not, or whether I want to hear it, it's loud. And it like makes itself really known in the midst of so much going on. And when I've had those moments, I just thank God for the spirit putting on my heart a, a yes, like to say yes to it. I think that the moment that, um, came to me, Shaniqua, was several years back before when marriage equality was being addressed by individual states and Washington state was going to pass the bill for marriage equality and the Episcopal Church was still really looking at its, uh, reviewing its liturgy for that and we hadn't really gone yet to the third time round. And I was praying at my side altar in the rector's chapel and a, a couple, very long-term uh, couple who uh, who'd been with my church for many, many years and been partnered for many, many years, uh, they came to me and, and asked if I would bless their marriage as soon as the bill was passed. And I remember, you know, thinking about, of course, I want to do that. But, but I took it to prayer and I was just like, what, this, is this the, will we, what will this mean to the congregation? You know, really, honestly, what will this mean to the congregation? It means a lot of, you know, it means a lot of things. And as I was praying, it was very, very clear to me that I, he I heard and felt and received the words, do not make them wait. Mm. Do not make them wait. And it, it, even though when Gregoire signed the bill, it went to referendum, it got enough, you know, signatures to go to referendum. Eventually, when it was passed, um, we, we, they were already prepped. And it meant that they were the first couple in our diocese. And... Uh, to do that. And so they ended up, uh, they're just, David and Kelly uh, are, are pioneers and they took on a lot and took a lot of courage. And it was also courageous for the congregation to enter into those conversations as well. So uh, for me, that was a real example of everyone was quite fearful, including myself, about what, how the congregation would respond. And it was, it was wonderful. It was like a, this huge, big secret. Everybody knew and everyone was afraid to talk about. Hmm. 
And, and so part of that for me is always that relates to Christmas for me is, is we have this God who's coming to the world who basically is continuing to say to us, do not make them wait. Justice is now. Christmas is frightening, just like the angels. We have a God who's coming to us and saying, justice is now, in your time, right now, you. Yes, you. I often know a sign when it when it's repeated. I think because I'm hard-headed enough to rarely get it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I, I tend to know it. I, I, going back to the story, I kind of admire the shepherds and lots of others in scripture who like, at least as far as we can tell, seem to have heard it once, maybe because it, you know, came in this like big, bright, strong way and then just like went. Um, but for me, I'm I'm that person who, you know, is like, oh, I don't know, maybe, you know, and then sometime later, all right, well, fine, I keep hearing it. And then I eventually kind of, you know, putter along uh, either that or, or God drags me to things, <laughs> usually kicking and screaming that turn out to be the best. Uh, but I, I I think with the uh, with this with the shepherds here and in the way that they hear it, and I think with I mean the, the way that people hear signs in this story, you know, the angel coming uh, to um, the angel you know, coming to Mary, and and then Joseph hearing in a dream, and then uh, then you know the shepherds hearing, and then the the wise men or the the uh, magi following the star, and I think of like all of the people who have just like spoken a word to me, maybe unexpectedly that just like makes a difference i'm sure all of us have stories like this and we can remember one specific thing that somebody said that just like broke through somehow and changed the way you think about whatever and it makes me appreciate um the way that god puts angels in our lives in the form of whoever that that make these enormous differences those people for me have been folks who don't know me at all i mean the reason why I'm in the position I'm in now is because someone I, who I did not know and who did not know me said something that others that I knew were saying something it's like, oh, you should, you know, I was like, oh, you know, whatever. And then this woman, it was, you know, now Bishop-elect Paula Clark. And I said, I don't know what it was, but I remember saying when I, when I received it, my my spirit immediately said, I don't know this woman, but this is the type of woman that God is going to speak through mm. and you better respond. And so I just want to resonate with what you just said. Like in my experience, they have often been the the folks I who know the least about me, if at all. Which makes it the scary angel to me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wait, what? Sometimes it's like the sign is like, something very unusual would happen. Sometimes it's like an animal that comes that normally wouldn't come up to you, but does come up to you and kind of says something or looks at you a certain way or something. Yeah. Let's, let's shift and think about John. Um, I have to just be honest and say I'm kind of biased. John is not my favorite gospel. I always struggle reading John. I feel like he was like high from the like medical dispensary or something the entire time he was writing his gospel. I'm just like, what is going on? Um, I super duper love John. I love John. And there's a couple of reasons uh, why. The, it, the first is the, the symbol system that's being used in John around this image of light. And mm. when you look at the context in which it's written and what's informing it, and you're looking at 
um, the way in which the language is quite intentional to mirror the Greek concept of logos, or perhaps better stated, the Greek concept of the, the divine presence in the cosmos and its involvement with it. It means both of those things. It's not simply the sort of idea of wisdom. It's wisdom in the world, wisdom alive and, and operating and functioning and incarnate in the world. So it has that sense of being more than simply knowledge. It's, it's human experience and how our willingness is to encounter the sacred in the world. And that the light becomes, uh, I'm so sorry, that is going off. I thought I had canceled that. <laughs> um, so it's this, this idea of that the light has always, has always been and that throughout creation, the light has sort of been with God and that comes, becomes the word and the ancient Israelite idea that the word of God is the creative action that stands between the covenant in the Holy of Holies and those cherubim, which, as you said, Shaniqua, we think of as little bare bottom babies, but really look like huge winged harpies. <laughs> and they guard that covenant. And so wisdom comes in between, comes to the people almost like a, that liaison or mitigator or arbitrator in between God and the people and is a way, the way in which people are in communion or in relationship. So I, I, I really hear in that that it's more than about light and dark as we think of them physically, but about being illuminated in our understanding and relationship with the creation and with creator and how we live that out. Mm. One of the things I really like about John, this about John here, specifically the prologue of John, uh, is that John is mystical in a way that I am not and probably will never be. Uh, I'm, mm. That's part of why I mentioned that I love Luke so much earlier because Luke thinks like I do and John doesn't. <laughs> and, and so whenever I preach this, whenever I preach this text from John, I always think about like, that John forces me to just sit and listen and, and be in a way that, um, that is difficult for me usually. Uh, you know, I, I, John doesn't give so many, you know, facts and details and characters and all this stuff, you know, to track and follow and examine. John kind of just says, sit and let me tell you something, you know, just, just sit and, 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 and be and experience uh, the light that is Christ in the world, experience the uh, incoming in the indwelling uh of of christ in us and like don't do anything about it don't you know go and you don't have to go and like create liturgies about it or you know find all the kids to be in the church pageant or all this stuff john is like just experience the incarnation for a while uh and and so i, I always appreciate especially after the the um kind of hecticness that is the 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 advent and christmas season for those of us who are in church world um and god bless for all the folks who work in retail and everybody else who is who is so enmeshed in 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 chaos in this in this season uh, john kind of gives us a chance to just sit for a minute and so i always invite congregations to just do that you know as i mentioned growing up in a different denomination christian denomination this is one of the passages that was used as a way to sort of like talk about what our call was as Christians, so like be vessels um, to bring people to Christ. 
And so it's interesting in the Episcopal context with lots of time removed from that particular denomination to sort of really sit with what it means to um, choose vesselness, vesselhood, if you will, um, not in a way sort of to bring people to Christ, but to bring people to love, to light. I mm. often love when uh, specifically clergy come to a Sunday and say, this text is complicated. I am <laughs> so challenged. I don't have answers. I don't have anything to wrap it up nicely. I'm so encouraged by leaders like that, not just clergy. You know, a lot of our leaders do that type of stuff. And I, I wonder in this quest specifically, I'm thinking in a um, kind of living in this culture of like tie it all up nicely, make it look pretty and like everything's got to be comfortable. And sometimes like it's uncomfortable, right? And so how do mm -hmm. we train ourselves as much as possible to sit, sit with texts that we maybe don't have the answers to or we don't love or we can't figure it all out? I like, there's so many things that kind of catch me. Someone once told me to read John like it was poetry and just think of it as poetry and that was helpful because I poetry is not always meant to be understood as much as it maybe is meant to be experienced or, you know, wash over you kind of thing. What does it mean that life was the light of all people? kind of think that's so cool and I think if you look at it as love life is the love of all people that that makes a lot of sense to me yeah I guess I, I hear in that you know the the life is a particular quality of of light of God's light to as some have said you know be inhabited by that light requires corporeal form it inquire it requires embodiment it requires us to live in a way that we're living in the light of our lives, in the appreciation that our lives are a light given to us by God. And I think there's ways in which the idea of Jesus coming to represent God, coming to bring a, a, a reminder about that light, coming to embody that light in a very particular, unique way as a model uh, that, that the light, that wisdom of God is in the streets with the people it's with all the people it, it jesus was forever inviting all kinds of diverse folks into conversation it was theirs to choose to receive that invitation or not but he didn't reject them outright uh if if the first few times it didn't work out and there were some people who wanted to be in relationship with him when he said you know that's probably not going to work out for you <laughs> and, and and just because because it requires us embodying that light not just simply following someone else who does. One of, one of my favorite parts of, uh, of our Christmas services is, you know, that moment when we get to light candles and pass that light on to one another. And what I love about that is that not only that we're you know, embodying this, but that it is only in lighting that candle that we are able to see one another and that we're able to pass that light on to one another. Right. And, in, in the moment before, when we're all in darkness, we're in isolation. We, we, we feel ourselves to be alone. And then when someone passes that light on to us, we're able to see them. And then we're able to invite the next person uh, who is right next to us to experience and be in that light. And then all of a sudden, we're in community together. You know, I think that that, that shows me, going to what you were saying, Rachel, uh, what Jesus does for us, Jesus enables us to see one another and to be able to share 
that light of Christ with one another and, and to, uh, you know, and all of a sudden, before we know it, the whole church is lit up and, you know, and, you know, the lights come on and so on. And we find ourselves kind of in this, in this completely new reality than we were in before. I love what you just said, because you've reminded me of something that I will often bring into my sermons uh, on Christmas Eve, which is the way that the early Christian communities learned about these stories and these stories were passed on was in the early first century cave homes. And, you know, in that area of the world, there are these really wonderful shallow cave homes that most of the people would have lived inside, including the shepherds would have lived in something like that rather than above ground kind of buildings like there would have been in Jerusalem or the larger towns. And so when they were kind of keeping quiet about learning these stories and the fact that they were um, engaging in the early beliefs of the church, all of the teachings would happen in a cave home near where the story actually occurred. So they're literally going and they're hearing this story, most likely in the cave system right near Bethlehem, and which is dark. And they're hearing this story in the dark, quite likely with only the flame of one of those small oil, oil lamps. So this idea of that there is a, a light and the light appeared in the darkness would have been experienced in a powerful way in that telling of that traditional story. Hmm. So John says his own people did not accept him, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. What do you think is the significance of this message? Uh, for those of us who are not accepted. That's just, for me, like the definition of a prophet, um, mm. which if we sort of track prophets, sometime down the line, folks who are like, oh, you know, away with you. You're like, oh my God, you were so right. Like, we need you. right? And so sort of this full circle moment that, that folks will experience. But I love, um, you know, as a queer identified Black woman, I just love chosen family. And, and the ability um, I see both in this text and in the connections to our current day to say, I'm going to go where love is <laughs> and, mm. and I'm going to go where light is. Um, and once I go to that place, I'm going to take that light and that love to not just to places that aren't, you know, for me, I'll just say, you know, in the family system I grew up in, it can be really easy to say, that. I'm going to take my love and light and just keep giving it to people who want to ret return it to me. The invitation, I think, for me, I'll just speak for myself in, um, in this moment, is to take all that love and light that I've been filled with and bring it back to the places where people said, away with you. Mm. Um, and, and that's mm. what, for me, that's my call. That's what it means to really have that full circle prophetic imagination as uh, Ruby Mint talks about. My uh, father uh he was he's atheist comes from a, a long line of agnostics actually going back to clarence wilbur ingersoll who is still someone read and recognized um but for his independent thinking and my so my father came from a long tradition of that and when i came back from college and i had become christian uh he was also a psychologist so he saw spirituality, especially Christian faith, as a mental illness. And my brothers felt the same. I would have probably been 
okay in my family, you know, if I had been LGBTQ, they actually probably would have been fine with that. <laughs> but coming out and saying that I was Christian was not okay at all. Uh, and my mother, who is Native, um, really saw Christianity and Christians as representing people who were responsible for the destruction of culture and, this, and her people. So she was not a big fan, right? So, um, you know, kind of recognizing over the years, I, I just, it was very clear that I was not about to evangelize them. I had no interest in that at all. I was going to continue to be myself. I was going to continue to be in relationship, uh, on and on and on. So fast forward many decades and, you know, my mother's passed away. I'm in a conversation with my father and, uh, he just looked up at me and he said, you know what? I used to think that like, you know, we were all the Adams family, but now I think that we were the monsters and you were the one normal daughter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the one that's just, and I, and, and, and I think, you know, he realized that it, at some point, not because of differences in faith, but that it, it, that I was willing to just continue to be in a loving relationship. And he recognized on some level that his had become rather conditional. So I think there's a way that, as Hazel's described, we're really called into this place of the generosity that, that God and that Christ have shown in terms of just giving of our love and not making that conditional, you know, holding out the candle to the next person uh, and being willing to be illuminated in the dark. So what ideas or suggestions do you have for preaching uh, this text or maybe some liturgical ideas? I know some of you have talked about liturgical ideas already, but what are some suggestions do you have for preaching Christmas? So much. There's so much in there. And yet, because we hear this story year after year, for those of us who are kind of in that church world and for those of us who are preachers and so on, it's so easy to kind of go, all right, Luke, I know that one. John, I know that one. I know what's in there. Uh, but to really take the time to to dig in and just find what's new, find what what hits different, find what what uh, strikes us this year that that we never noticed in other years, uh, and 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 just to go with that, you know, and uh, and just just to to really listen, to really to really pay attention and listen to the texts uh, and and to what they tell us. Oh, and this is what I was, the other thing I was going to say, uh, as I lose track, that uh, in the John passage, the, the first time I, uh, the first time I preached this passage, I was at uh, St. Paul's in Rome, Italy, where I was the intern, and uh, in, there, in the, in the apse, right behind the, the table in, in, in this beautiful mural, has the first words of, um, uh, the first, the first words of Genesis uh, in Hebrew, uh, you know, which we find in the beginning. And then in next to it, in Greek, it has en arche gen hologos in Greek. In the beginning was the uh, was the word, and so it juxtaposes those those narratives, the the creation narrative and the um, and and this narrative from John, uh, which is kind of a you know naturally, of course, commentators everywhere have noted that the the, the um, uh, you know that they sit side by side with one another that John is obviously referring. Um, to the Genesis there. And so just kind of, I, the reason I say all of that is just to, to remember that, um, you know, that, that kind of we're, we're going back, and liturgically we do this too, that we're going back to the beginning, that we're, that, we're, that we're entering a new space, a new reality, a new being. 
Uh, and so I, I uh, encourage preachers to kind of to live into that, to find ways of uh, to and, and uh, make space to live into that newness, experience that newness, that freshness, that that recreation um, in in whatever way they can. I think the question I'm finding myself reflecting on this Christmas and how to incorporate this in my sermons is uh, we're used to the idea of um, how do we model Christ? How do we you know, live that life? How do we follow? How do we be like that with when it comes to Jesus? But Christmas to me is a time also to ask, you know, throughout the Advent season, getting to Christmas is let's look at Mary. And we've touched on this a bit in terms of what are we being asked to do? How are we being asked to bear light? How are we being asked to uh, be, be loving people? How are we asked to be inclusive people? But also Mary is giving birth. And there's a way in which we are to model her also in terms of understanding that we are to help give birth to the reign of God to uh, new ways of being and doing things, to new opportunities to people, new opportunities for ourselves, uh, that there is a, a liberating symbol in birth as well for ourselves and for others. And I think what I'm kind of getting toward is what do we feel is being born when we look around our society right now? And I think there's a lot and very powerful, important things being born and coming into being, coming into awareness more and more um, on Black Lives Matter movement, um, looking at what's going on with the with the juries and cases going on around us right now uh, that are informing us, rather than only looking at how those are stressful, looking at what are we being called to be next? What are we giving birth to as a nation, as communities, as a church? As we look around, it only going to be increasing diversification in our communities. So what is happening? Because we're really in the midst of an important birthing time. I think the only thing that I would say is, um, and this might feel challenging because I think Jesus is a, is a marginal, mar, lives on the margins in a lot of ways. Um, mm -hmm. But in our telling of the Jesus story, the birth story, I think it would be interesting to hear preachers preach from the perspective of the ancillary characters um, and, and what was going on there um, as we think about what does it mean to exist um, in the mar on the margins? Um, and what would it look like to preach with the center, you know, centering the shepherds or um, others in the story? And then I'll go back to the invitation to say, what do you think, congregation? What's coming up for you? Um, and what I, uh, to Charles' question, like what's, Hearing this again for the first time, what's new? At the time that we're recording this, um, the, this past Sunday uh, featured Jesus saying, this is just the beginning of the birth pangs. And we're kind of going to, to what Rachel was saying. I am convinced that God is giving birth to the church in a completely new way. <laughs> and, and, yes, and yes, you know, in that it is beautiful and joyous. And also it's loud and it's painful and there's a lot of stress involved, you know. And it's messy. It's messy. It's messy. Yeah. And all of that at the same time, you know, and, and it's just, it's just all this kind of coming together and happening and stretching and, you know, so on. 
man. Uh, and so we kind of have to remember that, you know, at this time that we that that we center around around this birth narrative, that uh, you know that that God is bearing uh, a, a new a new church and a new world in us, and we're and we're called to be part of it. And that's an incredibly joyous and powerful thing that we get to live into. And we began some of our discussion talking about you know the stewardship and how we're kind of you know called to being proactive stewards like the shepherds were and being in relationship. And to me, in this time when we're really being informed by climate change in very powerful ways, we've just come off that COP twenty six uh, as a church and as a world. And to me, there's also a way in which we're at this very pivotal and critical moment um, of asking the question, are we going to participate in a new creation or are we going to let this one die? And the Christmas message this year for me is, as I, as I look at that Christmas tree and I think about that star on top, it's the ways in which God looks to us to be part of this of creation, not only not passively, but proactively and beautifully and intentionally and salvifically. Sort of thinking about this birthing idea, I thought about like why not have a woman who's given birth preach? Like I wonder what that would be like to have um have her preach about that process and what like maybe there's some tie-ins there or some parallels between that process and the story or, you know, uh something about like that. And the other thing I like to think of too is all of you have kind of talked about that. What are we birthing? I often try and think about like, I'm sure at least maybe one of Mary's relatives were there or something, but like, what, what would it be like to be the midwife? And I often, when I talk about like my facilitation or the things that I do, I often describe myself as the midwife. Like we're not the ones having the baby. We're the ones helping the baby be delivered. And we don't know how long delivery is going to take, but we're there to help provide support and, and help that baby be born in the best way it can be. Thank you so much for being willing to be here and share your wisdom and your knowledge. And it's, it's great to have you. Thank you Thanks so much, so much Shaniqua. Thank Thanks, everybody. So much, it was everyone. great to meet you. Well, that's all the time we have for today. And this is our last episode of the season. Look for new episodes in the coming year as we launch our Ash Wednesday and Holy Week season. If you want to learn more about becoming Beloved Community, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash beloved hyphen community. Thanks to our guests, Hazel, Charles, and Rachel. Thanks to our production team, especially Chris, Phoebe, Nick, and Polly. If you felt the incarnation in our conversation today, I'd love it if you would rate, review, and of course, share our podcast. Until we meet again, let your light shine.